Uh, we have been listening to our new CD. It arrived on Tuesday. And uh, that's what's been playing yeah, for us. And our band is singing most of the new songs during the worship in the evenings. And uh, who does not have one of these? You do? You have one, Brother Ronnie? Okay. All right, Dick. Maureen. Hallelujah. Too early with that thing. Peter, it's too early. Start again. Wait a while before you start that thing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you enjoying it? Praise God. Open your Bible to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Our subject is climbing the ladder of abundance. Amen. Climbing the ladder of abundance. Praise God. Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to the earth for the purpose of bringing us abundant life. And the truth of the matter is that he has come and he has succeeded. He died and rose and paid for abundant life with his life. As I said yesterday, he wanted you to have abundant life more than he loved his own life. That's why he was willing to give his life to bring you abundant life. So lift your hand up and say, God wants me to have abundant life more than he cares for his own life. Now, he has paid for this, family. He has paid for us to have this abundance. And the Greek word here for abundance is perisos, which means superabundance, excessive, overflowing, surplus, over and above, more than enough, extraordinary, over and above the ordinary, more than sufficient. Jesus has already bought that for us, financial prosperity, health, joy, peace, contentment, blessed, blessing in our family, giving us a harmonious family, no strife, love, more than uh, fulfillment, favor with God and man, success in your field of business, success in your ministry, bought and paid for, it belongs to you. And uh, unfortunately, if you look around you, if you go and visit Christians in their homes, Many, 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 too many of our wonderful, God-loving believers are suffering. If you go into their homes, there's too much lack. There's too much strife. There's too much confusion. There's too much inferiority. There's too much pain. There's too many bad, hurtful memories. There's too much of all the devil's attacks and influence and the scars of all that in the lives of the Christians. And folks, Jesus has paid for all of that to be gone. And we are standing in that mire. And we have a ladder in front of us that will climb us out step by step from sickness to health, from inferiority to confidence, from fear to faith. A ladder will take us from uh, sickness to health, from lack to prosperity, 
from spiritual immaturity to being spiritually mature, from not knowing anything about God to understanding God. Everything in life is bought for us and is ours, complete fulfillment that we could walk in the fullness of what Jesus is. Because as he is, so are we now in this world. That's what our legal inheritance is. And uh, unfortunately, we're not enjoying it. But right in front of us, there is this ladder that God has put there. It's ours to climb, and he has got someone who's going to climb it with us, and he is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Now, as I said to you, if you look at your page that I've given you, uh, if you don't have one, raise your hands while I'm talking, and you'll be given one. The left-hand pole is the Word of God. And working with the Word of God is what we learned yesterday. And then the right-hand pole is the Holy Spirit. And working with the Holy Spirit uh, is what we're going to be learning and studying today. And climbing those steps, each step represents a God-guided choice or decision done in faith. I'll say that again. Each step represents a God-guided choice or decision made in faith. And you can see, to make a God-guided choice or decision in faith, we are going to have to have the Word of God for the faith, and we're going to have to have the Holy Spirit for the wisdom and guidance to make the right choices in life. And we have to choose every day. We make choices every day. We make decisions every day. But those decisions, most of the time, are done by natural wisdom, and we ignore the Holy Ghost who's right there to give us what we need in the way of advice. And so we fail to climb out of our problems, out of our challenges, and uh, we're all guilty of this. I'm not saying that I've arrived. Please understand that. But I am learning that there is a ladder here, and I am endeavoring to let him take me by the hand and climb up out of every challenge I'm facing to the victories that really are ours. Amen? And uh, we looked at, just to recap briefly, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm going to flash this up on the screen. You can write it down and look at it. The NRV, I find, is the best translation for that verse. It says, God said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Now notice this. First thing I want to draw your attention to is God says, I don't want to harm you. Many people are afraid to let God take over and direct their life. Because they think, you know what? I'm quite comfortable with who I am. I don't know what God wants me to do. He might want to send me to some lousy place of suffering and I'm too scared to do that. I'd rather just stay right here. You know, let God take over. Uh-uh. You know, he may send me to China to be a missionary or India somewhere, you know. But I want you to know this. God says right here that I have a plan and it's not to harm you. It's not to harm you. What kind of plan is this, God? It's a plan of hope for your future. It's a plan of prosperity. It says so right there. It's a plan to prosper you. And then what is it? He says, I know the plans I have for you. He didn't say, I know the plans you have for you. That's the problem. 
I have a plan. God bless my plan, please, in the name of Jesus. Your plan has no guarantee for success. Your plan has no guarantee for abundance. But God's plan does have a guarantee to lead you up the ladder of abundance into abundance. And so, turn over to Isaiah 48, please, if you don't mind. Isaiah 48, or else look up at the screen. I'm reading from verse 17. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. That means, I'm the one who rescues you. I'm the one who redeems you. Redeem means paid for. I'm the one who bought you. Bought you from what? Sickness, death, the curse, poverty, everything that Satan can bring. I redeemed you. I'm the one who redeemed you. What he rede well, we talk about what he redeemed us from, but we need to understand what he's redeemed us to. And he's redeemed us to health, prosperity, abundance. Okay? And now he says, I'm, now this is God talking. He says, I want you to know who I am. I'm talking to you as your redeemer. The one who paid for you to come out of that into what I have. And this is how we're going to do this. Okay? You ready for this? God says, here it is. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. I'm your teacher. Let me teach you. Some of us don't want God to teach us. In fact, we don't even give him time. But he wants to teach you. To what? Prophet. Who leads you by the way you should go. Say this, the Holy Ghost will lead me into financial success and financial prosperity. Isn't that so? That's what he said. That's his purpose. His purpose is to lead us into the abundance of God that Jesus paid for. All right, now, today we are continuing. That's enough recapping. Today we are continuing. Uh, you can go to John chapter 10. Do not show the screen. Don't show the, the, the overhead. Turn your Bible to John chapter 10. And while you're turning, just say this. The Holy Spirit wants to take me in my spirit like a parent lovingly takes a child and leads the child up a ladder holding its hand. So the Holy Spirit wants to take me up the ladder of abundant life to abundance by making right choices and right decisions that are guided by the Holy Spirit in my everyday life, which I do in faith, which comes by meditating in the Word. Okay? Now, to illustrate this point, let me ask you a question. If you were asleep and Jesus walked into your bedroom and he gently woke you up and no one else saw this and he sat down at the edge of your bed and he said, Hello, Mary. Hello, John. Whatever your name is. You have some challenges in your life and you're looking for some answers because I know all your needs. Now, I have come to tell you what to do to solve your 10 biggest problems in your life. 
So get a pen and paper, John. Start to talk to him. Tell me the first one that you want solved. I'll give you a list of steps to take, and that problem will be over if you'll do what I'll tell you. And then, write the next problem down, and I'll tell you the same. Do you think, if that happened, <clears throat> that the creator of the universe, who planned and structured all these planets to fly around each other, not crash, and for every living thing on this planet, and in the entire solar system and the galaxies, everything has within itself life and energy. Every molecule, every atom is moving. It's continuously moving. Self-propelled energy, continuously moving. Science cannot make perpetual motion today. It's impossible. Not even the Energizer Bunny can do that. But everything you see, every atom, so protons and neutrons in it that are continuously moving. As far out of space as you can imagine with your mind, it's all the same. Do you think the God that ingeniously planned all this and the life that we enjoy around us is able to answer your ten biggest problems and tell you what to do to solve them? Do we think he can? Or do you think when you tell Jesus your problem, he's going to say, oh, I should never have come. You know what? In all of eternity, I have never seen a problem like this. And uh, I'm sorry I got your hopes up. I tell you what, go to sleep and I'll see you when you come to heaven. Do you think Jesus is going to be stumped? No, family, no. Now, the next question I'll ask you is, do you think that Jesus, if he came to visit you, would answer your questions? Do you think God wants you to know how to solve his problems? Do you think he'll hide that from you? Do you think if you ask God right now, God, how to solve my problems, that he, he knows, but he won't tell you? Or do you think he will tell you? Is he wanting to tell us? How do you think he's wanting to tell us? Or you think, no, he doesn't want you to know? Let me see, how do you think? Or I'm going to ask this. I mean, firstly, how do you think he knows the answer to your problem? Next question. How do you think he'd be willing to tell you? Absolutely. And we just read it. Isn't that so? I mean, we just read in the Bible. He is willing to answer our questions. He's willing to guide us to abundance. He bought it. He wants us to have it. Amen? Why would he buy it and not expect you to enjoy it? Now, with that in mind, thinking about that, if that is true, and it is, then why is it that it hasn't happened? Why is it that Christians are not having that guidance and knowledge and wisdom come to them to solve their problems? Why is it that we're in the problem? Firstly, I would, I would believe 
that the first reason is that most Christians don't spend a quiet time with God. In fact, I think I heard a statistic where the average preacher in America, I think it was America, spends seven minutes in prayer on average a day. So, if that is true, that the average Christian does not dust their Bible off until Sunday if they bring it. And we know they have to be making decisions between Sunday to Sunday. And they have to be making choices between Sunday to Sunday. The only ones that are not, they're lying in the closest cemetery. And if you are doing that, family, and we are not consulting God, then how can we expect God to help us? He's not going to force his way in. If the Holy Spirit is our God, how is he going to guide us unless we spend all time fellowshipping with him? How are you going to know your wife unless you spend time with her? The second reason, even if we did, even if we wanted to spend time with God to listen to his instruction, they wouldn't know what to listen for. Most Christians wouldn't know how to hear his voice. They wouldn't know if he spoke to them or if he didn't speak to them. They wouldn't know. And as a result of some trying and not getting answers, they give up hope in hearing God's voice. And they don't listen. And so we're back to square one. All right, now, the problem is with us. The problem is not with God. The problem lies here, not with God. And I believe we can make some adjustments and we will solve this problem. Now let's go to John chapter 10 and verse 1. And let's find out how we can learn to recognize the Holy Spirit's voice so we can make right choices and right decisions. John 10 verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up another way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters a sheepfold by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheepfold is the earth. We are his sheep. Jesus came through the door. That means he came in legally. He came in by a covenant where Father God made a covenant with Abraham where everything Abraham owns became God's and God became Abraham's God. Circumcision was a sign of that covenant relationship. And so God came to Abraham and he said, I'm yours, you are mine, I need you to allow me to be born in your loins. Can you imagine God coming up to you and saying, I want to enter into your loins and I want you to give birth to me. You think that's wild? Well, open your Bible to Matthew 1. Don't do it now and see. Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. It happened. And so, because that covenant relationship, Jesus had access back, God had the access back into the earth and came legally to redeem man from its destruction. Satan, on the other hand, came in through deception and lies and climbed up over the fence, but he got in. And he is not the shepherd. Now Jesus says, right here in verse 3, 
To him the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice. Who are the sheep? We do. So I hear the voice of my shepherd. And he calls his own sheep by name. Are you his own sheep? So he knows my name. And then it says, and he leads them out. Now out of what? Out of the sheepfold. Out of the sheepfold into the pasture. That's what a shepherd does. It takes the sheep every day out of the sheepfold where they are penned up, protected from the wild animals. And he takes them out into the sheepfold. Why? So they can enjoy the sunshine, the meadows, eat the wonderful grass, and drink from the stream, and enjoy life. And this shepherd goes with them to protect them. The Bible says Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us out. Okay? And then it says, 4, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the shepherd and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Hallelujah. Now, family, what God is showing us here is his love for his sheep, his compassion for his sheep, and his longing to de and desire to guide his sheep daily to feeding to abundance, to the good life that he paid for. That's what the shepherd wants for his sheep. And God is saying what Jesus paid for on the cross. He wants to come back and lead us into it to enjoy it. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit because he was in one body at one time in one place. He sent the Holy Spirit to do this job for us in His place because the Holy Spirit is everywhere present and right inside of us. And so on behalf of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our shepherd. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus says, it's important for you that I go away. If I don't go, He won't come. Say this, the Holy Spirit is to me everything that Jesus was to His disciples. Now go to John 10, 27. How does the Holy Spirit lead you, family? How does He guide us from day to day? How does He do it? By being available all the time to help us make right choices and right decisions on a daily basis. So that the Holy Spirit becomes my shepherd only when I allow him to guide my daily choices and my daily decisions. Then he is my shepherd. Not before. If a shepherd walked in a sheepfold and said, follow me, and the sheep said, uh-uh, how could he be their shepherd? But we don't have to be concerned because we do know His voice. If God says you know His voice, then you do know His voice. And we're going to recognize it in a moment. And this story here about Jesus leading the sheep out, that's a shadow of, it's a type, an example of the ladder 
that leads to abundant life that we're talking about. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Lift your up and say, I know the voice of my shepherd and I follow him. Romans 8, 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Well, let's say it this way. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Say that. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Now say this. The sons of God are not led by prophets. In the Old Testament, people were saved by faith. They were not born again. Jesus was the first one to be born again. The first one ever to go from death into life. That's why I cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was in death. Death means separation from the Father who is life. That's all death is. That's why people walk around there. Jesus said, they, or the Bible says in Ephesians 2, they're dead in their sin. That doesn't mean they're not breathing. A person will always exist either in death or in life. Those in hell are living or, or existing in death. We will exist in life. You have received life, the life of God, Zoe, in you. That's what you have now. All right? So you are alive with the life of God. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads us. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. That is a New Testament privilege. The Old Testament folks didn't have that. That's why the the anointing came on the prophet, the priest, and the king. And if they wanted guidance, they'd have to go to those for the guidance. Today, we don't have that. The prophet in the New Testament serves to confirm what the Holy Ghost has put in your heart. Amen. Every time the Lord's given me a word for somebody, when I've gone to share with them, they've already had that in their heart. They're just waiting for the confirmation. So I went and told them something they already knew. Okay? And, uh, you know, uh, I'll just be honest with you, 98% of all the prophecies I've ever received were wrong. They didn't confirm anything I had in my heart. And never, I had, you know what I mean? And I've had, of all the prophecies I've had, I would say that 90% of them have been bad. <laughs> Discouraging. Yeah. I remember one prophet came to town when Bev and I got married. We were about to get married. No, we just got married. And we stood before this prophet. Everybody came line up for prophecy. So we said, okay, we're ready to go. We're ready to move here to come and start the work of God. And this man prophesied and he said, and it was huge crowd of people, and he said, you are not called to the ministry. Number one, you are not called. God has not called you. Number two, you are not to use faith for financial blessing. Yeah, he said, he said, faith and financial blessing is your own false doctrine. I won't mention his name. I don't think he's doing that job anymore. But I'm here, praise God. By the grace of God, see, I have the word. And so I had enough sense to know the sons of God not led by prophets. But I had something in my heart to come here with my wife, and so I was ready to have confirmation. 
I have a funny suspicion. I can't prove this, but I have a funny suspicion that the devil didn't want me to come. <laughs> but he's too late. Hallelujah. All right. Good morning, brother. Let's go to John chapter 16. Let's say this. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, and the Father, Jesus and the Father will both guide us by and through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In my spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus can't appear to you and talk to you and give you guidance. He certainly can. But the majority of the time, there's a few ways you can receive guidance from God. We're not going to go into all of that, but I'm going to go into the fundamental, the basic, because it's the basics that we use all the time. Amen? Some folks try and get spooky spiritual, and that doesn't help anybody. The basics will work all the time. John 16, 12, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Another word for bear is receive. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, why did Jesus say, I have many things to tell you, you can't bear them now? Well, as I said, they weren't born again. The Holy Spirit was not in their hearts. Jesus had to communicate with them through natural understanding. Natural understanding. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the spirit of man. Amen. Right now while I'm teaching, I'm saying the word this morning. And uh, the Holy Ghost is speaking through me. And the Holy Ghost is speaking to you. And he's telling you what I say, plus you might be adding a whole lot of stuff to you, what, which is relevant to your life while I'm teaching. Amen. But we have that privilege now after the cross, after Jesus risen from the dead, because we are born again by the Spirit of God, so we can hear the voice of the Spirit in our hearts, but they couldn't. So Jesus had to teach them through the five senses. And that's why he said, there's many things I want to tell you, but you can't receive them now, but when the Holy Spirit's come, he'll be able to teach you. And after Pentecost, they were able to hear and understand the teachings Jesus wanted them to understand. Amen? That's why if you read the Gospels, um, you won't even know why Jesus came and died. You think you do, but you don't. If you read the Gospels, there's not much teaching in there. It's only when we read the letters that we get the full revelation of death, burial, and resurrection and who we are in Christ and all that. So when you read the Gospels, if you would never knew anything else, read the Gospels, you wouldn't know why Jesus died. The disciples didn't know. I mean, they didn't know. They lived with him for three and a half years. And when, when Jesus rose, or when Jesus died, they went off. Back to their work. They went fishing, they went doing all the stuff, and they went, when Jesus appeared to them, they were, they were, they were surprised. They didn't even realize he was going to rise, even though he did tell them once or twice, but they couldn't grasp it. Do you understand it? All right, so natural man cannot understand the things of God. Do you understand that? And they were natural men. But you and I have the Holy Ghost in us, and he is the revealer of truth to you, and he is your guide. So already, the fact that you understand the Word of God and deep truths of the Word of God, you are already in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You have to be. And you are, in you are flying with Him. You are hearing His voice and do not realize it. You have to be. Now He said, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, 
He will guide you into all truth. That means he'll reveal a word to you and he will guide you in your daily life to where you should be. Truth not only in the scripture, but in action in your life. He will not speak on his own authority. Underline that. The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority. The New American says he will not speak on his own initiative. That means the Holy Spirit will not come tell you something unless he is invited to by Jesus or unless you invite him to. Lift your hand up. Say this. The Holy Spirit will not speak to me unless I invite him to or unless Jesus instructs him. But he's always there. All right? He'll not speak on his own authority. That's why, that's why he's such a precious person of the Godhead. And we dare not offend him. He's, he's such, he has such a servant heart. And the dove being a type of his heart, we have to reverence him and respect him and yield to him. Say this, the Holy Spirit will guide me and lead me. He'll never push me. That's the way we should do our praise and worship. Listen to me, worship team members. We don't chase God when we do praise and worship. We listen to the leading of the Spirit and we flow as He leads us. Stay behind Him, not ahead of Him. And that's how we've got to do everything in life. Now, whatever he hears, he'll speak. He will tell you things to come. Whatever he hears. See, the Holy Spirit listens. Who is he listening to? He's listening to the Father. He's listening to Jesus. Now, say this. The Holy Spirit will tell me the future. I have a right to know the future. Is that true? Did he say sometimes? No, he said the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. Amen? It's not might be, maybe. Alright, let's go reading verse 14. It says, He, that's the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. See that? Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will take what I say and he will declare it to you. Say that again. The Holy Spirit will speak to me <clears throat> on behalf of Jesus <clears throat> in my everyday life. The New American says, he will take of what is mine and disclose it to you. Alright, so we see that Jesus will speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Now what about the Father? Alright, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Does the Father communicate us through the Holy Spirit? Let's see. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. <clears throat> I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Alright? Say so that the Father reveals things to us by the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't come to the eye, eye has not revealed, nor ear. Say this, hearing God's voice is not audible, 
and it's not visible. Now that doesn't mean, folks, that Jesus can't appear to you. But if you see Jesus, it's going to be a spiritual revelation of Jesus. You're not seeing with your natural eye. You can close your eyes and still see him. All right? Now, <clears throat> 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we may know. The things that have been freely given to us by God. Lift your hand up and say this. God has freely given to me all that Jesus paid for at Calvary. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to reveal to me all that is mine. Therefore, here is my shepherd leading me to the green pastures. He is taking my hand in my heart and leading me step by step up the ladder of abundance to abundance that Jesus paid for out of my problems. I thank you, Father. All I have to do is wait before making choices or making decisions every day and I will be climbing my ladder to abundance. Hallelujah. Amen? That's what it says over and over. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 2, please, in verse 14. But the natural, that's the unsaved man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. Say that. Say this. The things from the Spirit of God doesn't come to the natural. The natural man cannot understand the things from the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. Or say it this way, they are perceived in the Spirit, sensed by the Spirit man. So we see that our spirit receives information from the Holy Spirit. All right, let's say that again. My spirit receives information from the Holy Spirit, either from the Father or from the Lord Jesus. Now, what do we look for, folks? If we go for wisdom and guidance, making choices and decisions, and we sit down at the feet of the Holy Spirit, uh, what do we look for? We want to hear His voice. Do we listen for a bell ring? Do we have to say, okay, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to ask a dog to bark Yan Yankee Doodle Dandy at 3 o'clock in the morning? Or do we say, God, if you open the door, I'll know. See, all of that was because God was on the outside, not on the inside. Now he's on the inside, so we don't put out fleeces anymore because you will get fleeced. Amen. Now, we listen for, and we don't listen for emotions either. Because this is in the spirit of man. Emotions are the will. Uh, we have a spirit, soul, and body. In the soul, we have the will, mind, and emotions. And the emotion realm is different. The spirit of man realm. Amen? And, uh, 
And sometimes folks get emotionally excited about something and they think it's God, and it's not. We have to know, see, everything that God does with us is in the spirit of man. Everything. The word is planted in the spirit of man. The seed's planted in the heart of man. Amen? Love, joy, peace, meekness, kindness, temperance is all in the spirit of man. The love of God is should have brought in your heart. The spirit of man. God talks to you in the spirit of man. Amen? Healing comes to your physical body through the spirit of man. Amen? Prosperity from God comes to you through the spirit of man. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 35, he said, out of the, out of the good treasure of the heart, the good man brings forth good things. Amen. So all of what we receive from God is first incubated in the spirit of man. Now, with that understanding, um, with that understanding, let's go to Colossians 3 and verse 15. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We're finding out how, <clears throat> we're finding out how to recognize the voice of God. And this is a basic, uh, we don't have time to talk in, in its fullness entirety, but this is going to help us and this will really make a huge difference if, if you hear you have no idea. Okay, Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, the word heart here is the heart of man, the spirit of man. It's not the blood pump, okay? And the uh, Bible says, let this peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, the Greek word for rule can also be translated in English as umpire. Umpire. Now, what is an umpire? Well, another name for that word rule would be referee. All right. Now, most of us here know how to play cricket. And for our visiting guests, uh, let's imagine you are bowling the ball, okay, or throwing the ball, and, uh, and the batsman is defending the three poles in the ground, which we call wickets or stumps. And he has to try and hit that ball out of the ground to score points. Now, if you are bowling the ball, you're trying to hit those wickets and knock them out so he can leave the field and be out. And so, then uh, you come up and you bowl the ball and you hit him on his leg. Now, the referee or the umpire would be standing behind the stumps, a little distance, looking at the other stumps while you bowl. And the batsman's down there, and he has to judge if that ball would have hit those wickets and knocked them out the ground or not. And so he looks and he thinks, no, I think it would have gone past the stumps. He just does nothing, no reaction. But everybody in the team will shout, how's that? Which means, umpire, he could be out. Have a look. Umpire says nothing. Okay, we'll try again. But now, the next time you bowl and you hit the man's leg, the umpire looks and he says, yes, if that leg wasn't there, it would have knocked the wickets out the ground. And so, the umpire puts his finger in there, which means you're out, leave the field. Now, the Bible tells us, let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart. 
Let the peace of God rule in your heart. The word rule means umpire. Let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart. How does it help me? Well, let him make the decision whether you're in the will of God or out of the will of God. With every decision or choice you're about to make, he will tell you in or out. And that's all you need to know. Yes or no. With a yes or a no, family, we can climb the ladder of abundance. You can ask yes or no, yes or no. And that's how David got his guidance in the Old Testament. God, do you want me to go to war with these people? Yes or no? Yes. Well, if I go, will you give me victory? Yes. Will all our people come back alive? Yes. I mean, that's how they got guidance, a yes or a no. And that's how we get our guidance. It's simply a yes or a no. On every choice, every decision in life. And if you let him do that for you folks, I guarantee you, when you do that, when it comes to making a decision based on your faith in the Word, it's fine. You've got to have faith in the Word, but don't just run off in a direction you believe in to go without checking to see if you should go there. The Word of God says, don't just say, I'm going to this city and that city to do this and make a profit. Because you don't know if it's will of God, the Bible says. So folks, just run off and do business. It's not that he doesn't want you to go and do this business in the city, but he wants to make sure that you are going in his You're going to prosper. If you don't, you may not. There's no guarantee your plan will succeed. But his plan will. Amen. Okay. So, let the Holy Spirit be the umpire in your heart. Now, how am I ever going to let that happen, let the peace of God help me make right choices if I don't have the peace of God? Because where does the peace of God come from? The peace of God in here only comes by fellowshipping with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with the Word, in prayer, in worship, in reading. That's where it comes. Isn't this true, family? Amen. I know in my own life, when I spend time with the Father, time with the Word, time worshiping and praying in the Holy Ghost, I have continuous peace from day to day. But if I go without spending time with God, if I don't read the Word, if I don't eat, Jesus said, you not live by bread alone, but by every word. If I don't eat the Word for a spiritual man, if I don't drink from the fountain of life, pray in tongues and worship in the Spirit, then I'm thirsty and hungry. And what happens is we get confused. We can't make right choices. We lose that perception, that sensitiveness to our surroundings. It's like a karate expert being blindfolded. He can't defend himself. And you know, uh, we have to be alert, sober-minded to the wiles of the devil. But we can't if we're not spiritually alert. And that's how we be alert. Spiritually minded is not mental, it's spiritual. Amen. And uh, so, if we don't spend time, now I know in my own life, I have fasted uh, seven days, believe it or not, seven days one time, and my neighbor, who knows me well, who sees me every day, didn't recognize me. I came out on the seventh day. I mean, on the seventh day, when I started eating again, I was on my back. I couldn't even get up. I said, go get me some juice. 
I was on water only, and they came and gave me the juice. I could hardly get my hand up to put it in my mouth. Lay there for half an hour. <laughs> and then uh, finally got up there. I was standing watching the guy, and my neighbor standing right there. How's he been talking to you? I said, ah, he just looks at me. I mean, I bowed from here to there away. He didn't even recognize me. So I said, Alan. I mean, Walter is Walter. Alan. I said, Walter, this is me, Theo. Now, what happened to you? <laughs> I look so skinny. <laughs> I look like I was off dead. And so uh, I have fasted three days a few times. But I can tell you right now, I would far easier go seven days without food than going seven days without God in my life. I mean that. I'd be a basket case if I went seven days without God. I'd run you out drowned. Then says they lock me up and take me away in the straight jacket I'm going, ministry, ministry, ministry. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a total loon. Uh, if it wasn't for the time that I have with God every day, I would have no peace. And you know, I have no idea how Christians who don't spend time with God expect to have peace and let the peace of God guide them in their choices. So I would recommend you, if you're going to make any important decisions, that you spend time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word, maybe for a few days. And then what I suggest you do, now I won't go ahead of myself, no. That's in my message, so. All right, now. Only the peace of God is filling my heart and only the peace of God in my heart will enable me to make right decisions. I want to uh, flash some scriptures up on the screen. Let's go to Proverbs 20 and verse 27. It says, The Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. The Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Now, uh, please understand that God is not saying your spirit is a lamp that God needs to see where God's going. God doesn't need a lamp to see where he's going. When it says the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, it means that the Spirit of man, your Spirit, is the lamp of God to show us where we are going. So lift your hand and say, the Spirit of man, my Spirit, is God's lamp to shine on my pathway. All right, now Psalm 16, 7 from the NIV. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Praise God. See, your spirit doesn't sleep. It's awake day and night. Isn't that so? So even at night, my heart instructs me. See, your spirit will talk to you. That's why... Well, I want to get ahead of myself now. Why is that? How is that possible that your spirit instructs you at night? Well, let's go down to Job 32. Uh-uh, sorry. Job, yes, Job 32. I'd like you to find this in your own Bible, Job 32. And verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. There is a spirit in man, but the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. 
Now, the Hebrew word for breath can also be translated as spirit. The translators had it assigned by the context of the sentence or the subject that it's either spirit or it's, or it's uh, breath. Uh, if I was there that day, I would recommend they put in the word spirit instead of breath, and then it would read like this. But this, there is a spirit in man. Got a job fit to eight my, my, that's it. There is a spirit in man, and the spirit of the Almighty gives the spirit of man understanding. Amen. Now, we have all sorts of definitions about, let's be spiritual. Come on out, let's be spiritual. I know many Christians who have been in the way for 30 years and still are not spiritual. The thing is, the problem is they've been in the way of the Holy Spirit. A spiritual man, family, is a man who is led by his spirit at the expense of the flesh. A spiritual man is one who follows the leading of his spirit at the expense of the physical. In other words, he's being led by the Holy Spirit daily. What is a carnal man? A carnal man is one who follows the desires of the flesh at the expense of the spiritual. And uh, you can become a spiritual person, or we can, or I can, by simply deciding today, I'm going to be a spiritual person. I'm going to let the Spirit of God guide me, making my choices and decisions every day. And if you'll do that, you'll start climbing the ladder of abundance. Praise God. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Who is a man? I told you this yesterday. Who is a man sent from God? A man sent from God is a man who is making God-guided decisions every day. See, if you and I are taking decisions every day that are led by the Spirit of God, done in faith based on the Word, then we will be doing everything that God tells us to do and we'll be at the place that God wants us to be at the right time and we can walk in a room and say, I'm a man sent of God. Otherwise, I'm a Christian who can talk about God. That's the alternative. Amen. But it's wonderful to know that we are in the right place at the right time in God's perfect world. There is nothing to compare with it. Now, I'm not saying I've always sensed that. But from now on, and recent, a uh, year and a half ago, I made a quite a decision that is my primary goal in life, to be led by Him daily when it comes to my time with Him, when it comes to everything I do. Everything I do. I don't want to be anywhere unless I have a peace in my heart first. That's where I'm supposed to be. How about you? And I can already see changes and improvements 
and blessings coming my way. I'm starting to get more abundance of how I got that ladder. I'm enjoying more abundance in my life. Praise God. I'm not talking about money, although you can't be abundantly blessed without money, but there's a lot more to it than money. If, guided for, if guidance from God is what we need in any particular situation, then we are going to need to find a scripture, a seed that will produce that harvest. Remember we learned yesterday, James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it wisdom to all men liberally and without reproach. And we learned that the reproach means he won't tease you about it. All right, so, if any man lacks wisdom, if any man lacks, uh, lacks the, the, the knowledge of yes or no, or right or wrong, or should I do it, should I do it, in my choices and decisions, we have to ask of God. And then James said, let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, for he is like a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, and let not man, that man think he shall receive anything. From the Lord. Amen. Lift your hand up and say, without faith, I can never, never, never receive anything from the Lord, not even guidance from the Holy Spirit. Because anything means, in the Greek, anything, because that's what anything means. Amen. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. It's like this. You're climbing up a pole, up a rope. And then the rope snaps. And you fall. Now when you're climbing up in faith, and if you start doubting and confessing doubt and belief, your rope is snapped. You're falling. You don't stay where you are. You have to repent and start again. Amen? Alright. And uh, it's not hard, family. We have to find a seed of the Word of God that promises guidance and we have to do what we learned yesterday. Meditate on it. Put it in our heart. For example, open your Bible, please, to Colossians 1.9. And now we're going to see how simple it is to receive guidance from God. Remember, the Holy Spirit won't force Himself on us, right? We learned that. He will not initiate guidance. We have to, by faith, Invite him to guide us. Is that okay? This is how we're going to do it. We have to do it with the Word of God. Colossians 1.9. Just let me write these scriptures down. Let me give you something. You've got a page there. John 10.27. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, know them, and they follow me. John 16.13. Jesus said, the Spirit of Truth, He will guide you and show you things to come. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Psalm 37.23, He orders the steps of the righteous. Colossians 1.9. Got it? 
We do now. This is the verse that I'm focusing on right now. But I meditate on all those scriptures. But this is the one I'm focusing on. I need one seed will produce the harvest. One seed will produce the harvest. That's enough. Colossians 1.9. And he said to the church of Colossae, Paul did when he wrote, he said, We do not cease to pray for you and ask. Now, these are Christians praying for the church of Colossae. And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I don't cease to pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, can you imagine this? Being filled. Spirit, soul, and body. I mean, whatever you've got, being saturated with the knowledge of God's will. Imagine this. That's not enough. In all spiritual understanding. In other words, with all God's understanding. You know, the, the natural mind is limited to five senses, and our understanding here is so limited. But God's spiritual understanding of a subject is all-encompassing. So when God gives you knowledge on a subject, uh, you'll have all-encompassing knowledge about that decision. It says, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Praise God. Hallelujah. How can we fully please God if we don't know what He's telling us to do? How can we hope to please God if we don't know what He's telling us to do? Otherwise, we're doing what we think He wants us to do. And He may not want us to do it at all. We can spend our life, we can spend 25 years climbing a ladder to find it's resting against the wrong wall. And you know what? We can come to seminars like this and get so pumped up that we climb harder and faster. We just get the top ladder quicker, but it's still the wrong walk. And what is the point of that, then? What is the point of that? It must be so discouraging to get to heaven and find that's the news. And you know what? You have unique talents, unique ability. You are specially created in the, in the likeness and image of God, wonderfully and fearfully made to fulfill a plan, a destiny that no one else can do. They all have their own destiny and plan. If yours is not fulfilled, no one else has got the time to come and do it for you. It's not going to be accomplished. Amen. Brother Rodney, it's true. You have a plan set before you by God. A special plan. And you know what, folks? He has equipped you to do it. We've got enough sense to put a racing car on the racing track and a plow behind a tractor in the fields. But some of us tractors want to be racing cars and some of us racing cars want to be tractors. We've got the tractor racing in the Grand, Grand Prix and we've got the uh, Formula One car trying to pull a plow in the field and we're not getting anywhere and we're getting frustrated with our Christian life. And we come to faith seminars and all we do is believe more harder to pull that plow with a racing car instead of coming for wisdom to actually get into the 
Formula One race with a racing car. You may be a racing car driver. What are you playing the field for? It doesn't matter what God's called you to do. If we'll start doing it. We have talents and abilities. We'll just flourish and blossom. We'll be fulfilled and happy. We will be influential and prosperous. We'll be looking down on the, from the ladder of abundance in every way. Hallelujah. And as for me, I'm simply for nothing more than what Jesus died to give me. Hallelujah. And that's going to come by daily waiting on the Father through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that so? All right, family, let's move on quickly. I just got to finish this. I didn't take this far to, to let you sink. I just want to finish this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, we can take that scripture and we can say it thousands of times a day. Write it in a card. Look at it. Remember what we learned in Proverbs 4. Hear it, look at it, get it in the heart, say it. And then, uh, if you have a particular area that you're wanting guidance for, like in my own personal life, now I'll get to share this test with you. 18 months ago, I got fed up with the challenges I was facing without seeing the conclusion of what I was facing. Uh, you know, in the ministry and, and so on. And uh, so I went to God. And uh, I remembered something that happened to me in 1980. And this is what I started doing. I said, in 1980, let me go back a bit. In 1980, we started the church in 79. In 1980, uh, I started getting sick. I had all sorts of symptoms, pain, problems, allergies come my body. I actually went and booked myself in for three days. Uh, after four years, I booked myself in for three days at the hospital. And I got all the specialists and every part of whatever. And I said, right, examine me from my head to my tongue. And they could find no cause for this problem. And they could find nothing really wrong with my body. But I was in so much pain. I mean, I couldn't tell you all the problems I was experiencing. And uh, allergies. I mean, my eyes were red. And I'm praying for people and they were getting healed. We were in the middle of a healing revival in those days. Up until 1985, that's when uh, we had that, that's when they told the world that healing didn't work um, and made me look like, you know, worse than an adulterer and, and a murderer because healing doesn't work. Of course it does. We all know that. But anyway, uh, but for those years, for four years from 1980 to 1984, I was suffering so much that I could actually hardly preach. I'd walk on that platform there and get to one side because they preached from there in those days. And I would walk like this in such pain. I, I had to wear Nike shoes and had to have padding in the shoes to go walk. To walk anywhere. The pain was so excruciating in my body. And... Um, and Pastor Pat, very where you, Pastor Pat? Well, he came away with me one time, took me to a farm to go and pray and seek the Lord for a number of days and just wait on God. And the Lord said to me, because I'd confess the scriptures two hours in the morning and two hours at night. And so I came to this point where, you see, everything I've ever wanted from God, if I meditate in the Word three, four, five days, left with faith to receive it and believe it and get it. And uh, so I had enough sense to know after four years that something was wrong. That's how smart I am. 
And so I decided to go and ask God, God, I know your word works. There's something wrong here. Why am I not receiving this? And the Lord said to me, it didn't take long for him to straighten me out. He said, if you're standing with your hand on a hot stove and you ask for healing, could I heal you? I said, no. He said, well, that's what you're doing. I said, how? He said, you're eating junk. And I was eating junk food. And I had been my whole life. And so, he said, go to a health, book, a health shop and tell me which one to go to. And I went. And he said, get that book. And I took it home and I read it and changed my eating habits and started studying nutritional eating. And it took three years and my body was completely well. And I'm healthy. And praise God, I'm enjoying health. You understand? And uh, so I, with that in mind, decided I'm going back to God and I'm going to do the same thing. And I started asking God what to do. And he said, you must have guidance. You're listening to, to my spirit, uh, uh, you know, uh, but you're not as sensitive as you need to be and you're not as focused as you need to be. This is the most important thing you need to do is let me guide you up this ladder out of these problems. And I said, okay, what I do? And he said, well, you have to believe for wisdom and knowledge. James 1. So I said, okay, I need a verse. So I got Colossians 1.9 and I read it. And I said, Father, thank you for filling me with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, firstly, in how to clear the debt of the church in the name of Jesus. And so I started confessing that. Confessing it over and over, hundreds of times a day, sometimes thousands of times a day. Father, I thank you for filling me with the knowledge of your will. The knowledge of your will. In all knowledge and spiritual understanding. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I thank you for filling me with the knowledge of your will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I thank you. In the name of Jesus. According to Colossians 1.9. And especially in the area of how to clear the dead of the church. And you know, while I was confessing this, a whole lot of things started happening in my life. It's almost like there's a huge big picture. Uh, 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 there's a white sheet and there's a, there's a, a, a margin at the edge of the sheet and now there are all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle on the table and I'm watching the Holy Spirit take one at a time and put them in place in the order that He wants. And so I'm seeing, I must do this, I must do that, I must do this and the picture is beginning to unfold of what I must do in, in how to direct this ministry in uh, how to clear the debt of the church and what to do. All these things are coming to my heart. Amen? And uh, I am starting to climb this ladder, taking decisions, being led by the Holy Spirit, making the right choices. And it didn't happen overnight, but I was in such a mess that I, had, I didn't know what was from God or what wasn't. There were times these ideas came, and I would say, well, which one's from God? And which one's my idea? And so I would uh, write them down, write out the idea, and then wait on God. For the peace. Is this the way? Yes. Not tick yes. Next day I'd wait on God. Now, is it yes or no? Yes. Yes, okay. Yes, I'm a, I imagine myself doing it. Think, okay, you're getting up to doing that. And I start, like, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm doing that. And I'm listening to my spirit. I get a peace. Okay, fine. Now I think, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this now. The other thing. Opposite direction. Oh, no. 
something's wrong here. All right, fine, this is the way. And then for seven, eight days, I check it out the same way. And I know for sure, hey, this is it, I'm going. And the Bible says, lean not to your understanding, but trust the Lord with all your heart. And so I'm going, and it doesn't matter if it looks reasonable or not. See, God told Jacob, look up in a vision. There before you are spotted and speckled sheep. Now, where do you see sheep having black and uh, black spots all over them? But he said, now take these sticks and make uh, marks out of them and put them at the wine trough and the sheep will have spots on them. Jacob, that will be your payment. And so Jacob just what? Obeyed the Holy Spirit's direction. And he prospered. It's just that simple. That's what happened to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Uh, 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 that's what happened in you look at all their lives. It's a common thread throughout every one of them. They all did. God says, Abraham, leave here. Go there. He said, fine. He obeyed God, walked in God's plan and prospered. And uh, so, it didn't look reasonable. Imagine Uncle Laban coming around looking at this and saying, what are you doing, Jacob? Well, you know, I'm going to have sheep here with black spots on if I do this. Oh, shame. Poor old. He's been out in the sun too long with those sheep. You know, we need to bring him out of the sh in the shade of a while. But, you know, it's not reasonable to do what God tells you to do sometimes, but we do it. It works, family. Amen. And so that's what I've been doing by the grace of God. And uh, I, I have learned in my own life, I've made too many mistakes to make any more. Of course, I'm the only one. <laughs> Is anybody else who has made wrong decisions, wrong choices? Let me ask you a question. Did you find they were expensive? Or am I the only one? I found my wrong choices cost me a lot of money. Did that cost you money? So this right choices makes us prosperous. Wrong choices is a thief. Isn't that so? So we keep making right choices our whole life. We just keep getting more prosperous, praise God. Okay. And uh, I have got so many different experiences I would like to tell you about. But I've run out of time. I want to tell you a few stories of how the Holy Spirit guided me. You want to hear one or two stories? Let me see. Okay. Um, 18, uh, two years ago, we were in Chicago, in a, uh, not Chicago, Atlanta. And Natalie and uh, her sister and her, her two cousins went fishing in a little stream behind Bev's sister's house. And, uh, and uh, while they're fishing in this little deserted place, where they always fished, they heard a voice behind them. Do you have a fishing license? And uh, so the little guys who couldn't see the bush said, they said, okay, um, no, we don't have a fishing license, but we, we're not 16, so we don't need a fishing license. We're not 18, 16. We don't need a fishing license. And so they said, yes, you do. Come up here. And so they went up. Natalie was in the front, and uh, they got around the corner in this little bush. It was thick bush, and there was this man standing completely naked with a T-shirt wrapped and tied around his face, just his eyes sticking out. And, uh, and the three kids ran away. Natalie stayed to protect them. And he grabbed her one throw, one movement, ripped her clothes off, threw her on the ground, was about to rape her. And uh, in the meantime, uh, I had, I'm cutting this short, real short, I went to gym that morning. God had already been 
speaking to me about Natalie. And uh, while I was in my quiet time praying that morning in the bedroom, they were getting ready to go fish. The Holy Spirit, while I'm praying, the Spirit, he said, Natalie. So I went out, looked at her, and I thought, okay, uh, is, it, is she okay? I said, Natalie, are you okay? Yes, fine. And then I thought, what is it, Holy Spirit? And I thought, in my spirit, I sensed, Holy Spirit saying, go with them fishing. So I was about to say, can I come fishing with you? And, and I thought, well, head, they're not to understanding. I'm going to rain on their parade. Okay, I won't go fishing. Then they went off. And I said to George, I said, drop me at the gym. So they dropped me at the gym. And as I began to work out at the time, they were there fishing. As I began to exercise, suddenly I had this overwhelming, overwhelming loneliness, um, this overwhelming depression come upon me. Now, most folks, when they do that, don't know it's God dealing with them in their spirit. What they do is they go see a psychiatrist. Or they go up in the fridge and eat. I'm not kidding. People do not understand God just wants them to pray. And so, um, I realized this. So I just, now there were two or three people in the gym that was very empty at that time of day. So I began to act like I'm working out. I'm just walking around praying the Holy Ghost. And I said, now I said, what is it? What is it? Natalie, okay? What is it? Her life's in danger. Satan's trying to kill her. I said, okay. And I said, Satan, I started saying, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you take your hands off my daughter in the name of Jesus, you will not have her life. She belongs to Jesus. Now, she, we, she actually and her sister were not really living for the Lord like they should have been. Um, kind of lukewarm, almost getting to it. Their whole lives have changed now. I mean, they're really on fire for God. But right then, they weren't. And we were believing God for this change. Basically, I mean, I was praying in the Holy Ghost for the kids' spiritual um, change. And, uh, but, so, uh, I start praying in tongues, praying in tongues, fervently gushing. It's coming out of my spirit. Now, there's times when you pray in tongues, and there's times when the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help you. Whenever you're facing major challenges, you'll have more of that happen because He comes alongside more to intercede. The Holy Spirit makes an intercession for the saints of God according to the will of God, in order to bring about the will of God. Amen. And so I, I prayed in tongues, prayed in tongues, prayed in tongues, and I kept rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan. And then George came at the hour to pick me up and take me home. And I said, George, take me right to where they're fishing. So he said, okay. We tried to find it, and we couldn't get through the bushes too thick. And then we came back to the house, and Bev and uh, her sister arrived, Brenda, and the phone rang. The police picked up the phone, and we spent quite a bit of time looking for them, maybe an hour and a half, couldn't find them. Um, and Bev said to me, what is it? I said, no, I just had this terrible burden back at the gym to pray for Natalie and Brooke Satan, and, uh, but I believe everything's fine in Jesus' name. And uh, so we got back, the phone rang with the police. They said, come down to the hospital. Was it the hospital? Where was it? Oh, a business? Oh, okay. And then we went to the hospital after that. And then, uh, so we got down there, and there's Natalie. Um, what happened was, this guy threw her on the floor, tried to rape her, and she could have tried to use physical strength, but the guy was tall, lean, muscular, and she would have no chance. You understand that? But lying on the floor, she said, which would be totally out of character for a spiritual condition at the time, 
She said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. She screamed that at the top of her voice. And this man went like that. And she got up and she punched him and ran off. And uh, she ran. She didn't know which way she was running because it's a thick bush. She took a, a stick apart and ran for life. Didn't know this guy was not behind her. Now she was running. She comes out the clearing, tries to cover herself up, and the boys took off her T-shirt and clothes and gave it to her and, uh, and took her to some business to make a phone call. They called 911. The police came there. When we got there, uh, uh, she was fine, shaken up, but she was fine. She slept with Bev in the bed two or three nights, and she was fine. Um, but I know, without a doubt in my heart, that if I had not had the Holy Spirit as my guide, that my little Natalie may have been raped or may have been murdered. Because when the police got back there to that place, it was two, three hours later. You know, they couldn't... How would those kids have gone to find the police to bring them back to save her with something that can take 15 minutes, 10 minutes in history? You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, and he would have been gone. They never found the guy. Another time, Candace, I was praying one Sunday morning, and I had this burden to pray. So I got, it was a Sunday morning, I got up real early, and I was praying first of all, and suddenly this burden came. I said, okay, let's go. And I'm praying gushings. And I just assumed it was for the service, so I, I didn't be too concerned. And then the more I prayed, I realized somebody's life's in danger. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to church, I'll just pray everybody and bind the devil. So I got you, and uh, I still, I prayed for four hours that morning in gushings, and got you, and I got from a place of 100% concern to 95%, 98% uh, peace. You just pray. How do you know when to stop? Well, when the peace comes and the joy comes, you know you've won the victory. And so, uh, and so I, um, I got to church. I, I, I still had a little bit of heaviness, not too much. I was fine. And uh, I preached from the end of that. I said, have you sensed your life may be in danger, your family's life may be in danger? When you come out, Jeff? And... Uh, I said, fine, I'll bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. You'll not take, you'll not hurt anybody, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, then Bev left with Candace in her car, and I left with Natalie two, three minutes after that in my car. And uh, we had just bought this house we were in now, and uh, we have a big steel gate. It's about this high off the floor, and it's about from that pole to here. And it's made of thick square tubing like that. Solid steel, the steel bar is going all the way across. So I guess it weighs about two tons. I don't know, what would you say? Any steel people around you? But it's heavy. But now, um, it wasn't, the motor wasn't working. You didn't have a motor connected. So, and it was on beautiful rollers. I mean, it's just like lighting on Vaseline. I mean, it just, you could move it like that. So anyway, so Bev says, can us open the gate? So she gets out the car. She walks up the gate, she moves it like that, she gets in behind it, she's standing on the brick paving, and she's just walking like this with the gate, Bev's car's right there, this huge gate comes off the hinges, and she doesn't even know it, and she's walking, and it falls like this, on her head, and knocks her to the floor, and falls on top of her. Now, just recently, there was a child killed with a pedestrian gate, only that high. And, uh, you know, this, this, all things being equal, I mean, it should have crushed her to pieces. But the other's gate fell on top of her. So Bev jumps out to her car. She runs around 
She takes this gate with one hand, picks it up, and takes the other hand and pulls Candace out. Don't mess with my wife. And don't mess with me, because she will be on you. So, um, how did all that happen? Now, we pulled Candace out. She was crying. She was shocked. We looked at her. I stopped. She's sitting there. Looked to examine her. You right, Candace? Yes, Dad. Any pain? No, Dad. No cuts, no cuts, nothing broken, no. Thank you, Jesus. Can we say thank you, Jesus? About two years ago, one uh, Friday morning, early hours, I woke up with this terrible burden to pray. So what do you do? You have to be led by the Spirit, so you get out. We're talking about making right choices and decisions. So I got out of bed. I didn't want to stay bed, but it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, so I go down to the lounge, go downstairs, and I just prayed my heart out. And I said, Holy Spirit, what is this now? You know? Am I, who am I praying for now? And so he tells me, you're praying for Jacques. Now Jacques is, uh, was a youth leader. He's now working for Pastor Robin Linda in Chicago. He's their youth leader. And, uh, and so, um, so he says, you're praying for Jacques. So I said, okay. So I prayed. So I said, and what is the problem? He says, his life's in danger. So at sunrise, um, a peace comes to my heart. And so... Um, that day, by chance, and they've asked him to, Jacques just kind of popped into the house. So I said, oh, Jacques, come sit with me in my car. I said, listen, I said, last night, early hours of the morning, this is what happened. And I said, uh, the devil is probably planning to kill you. But I want you to know that whatever happens, you will be safe. Don't be concerned. I've prayed through I have a peace, everything's fine. So he said, thank you, Pastor. Yeah. So, uh, Sunday night off the church, he's going along the freeway and it's raining and he's, he's coming from, uh, he's coming um, past the Biff of you turn off, uh, the, the Heidelberg Road, past the Biff of you turn off and he is going towards the airport. Okay, and that's like a five-lane road coming around that corner, isn't it? And so he's going along there uh, on Sunday night, he drops somebody home and as he's driving along, for no reason, in the middle of the road, his car starts to do this down the road. He might have hit oil, I don't know. His car starts to do that and eventually stops sideways on this freeway and cars are going past him at high speed at night in the rain. So what does he do? He gets out of his car and he gets behind it and he pushes it <laughs> off of the freeway because the car stalled. So I said, well, Jacques, why, why didn't you start it again? He says, Pastor, I didn't think about that. <laughs> so, so I said, Jacques, were you scared? He says, no, Pastor, why? I was pushing the car, they're flying in front of me and behind me. I remembered what you told me. They said, we're going to try and kill me, but you prayed and God has protected me. And so I was quite happy just to push the car off the road. <laughs> I knew I'm safe. He says, Pastor, I will confess to this when I got home. My knees began to shake, Pastor. I couldn't control them. By the time I remembered, I can tell you many stories like that. Um, uh, tell you about Angelique, our secretary, back 15, 16 years ago. I was teaching right up here, uh, some leaders on a Thursday night, and all of a sudden, while I'm teaching along, I prayed up and everything. While I'm teaching along, all of a sudden. Holy Spirit said, stop. So I said, okay, what is it? He said, 
your secretary's life's in danger. Pray for her. So I said, let's stand up and pray for Angelique. God told me her life's in danger. And so we began to pray in the Holy Ghost. About five minutes, a sense of peace. And I said, okay, she's fine. Let's sit down and carry on teaching. That was the Friday. She didn't come to work, of course, until the Monday, and she didn't come. It was Thursday. She didn't come Friday. Third, Monday morning, she phones and says, where are you? She said, well, Pastor Theo, she phoned me. She said, Pastor Theo, um, I don't have a car. Can someone pick me up? I said, sure, what happened to your car? She says, well, uh, by the way, that night I took the time. I said, let's look at the time. You wrote it down. She says, at such, such a time, which is the exact time Thursday night, she says, Myers and I were driving in our Renault 5, which is a small little car, should be illegal. And uh, <laughs> we're driving in our Renault 5, and, uh, and we went driving along, and this truck came through, we were driving along, this truck came through a T-junction, red light, and hit us on the side full on, and took a car right off the road, and rode over our car, and so they had to get the truck off, and they get us out of this car, and it was flat. And I said, so what happened to you? So the, the fire department took like an hour, cut the car to pieces, took the car apart, pulled them out, and they stood up. And the fireman said, how is this possible? And there was nothing wrong with him. And they said, I take us home. He says, no, no, we've got to take you to the hospital. So they said, look, there's not even anything broken. Take us home. We just want to go home. And they insisted. So the fire department took them home. And they were not home. And I'm convinced. I'm convinced that that's the Holy Ghost. Amen? That's the Holy Ghost. And I can tell you a number of other stories like that if we had the time. But family, lift your hand up and say this. No tragedy will ever come my way without the Holy Spirit warning me first. If I listen daily before making decisions or choices in my life and I do what He says, I will climb step by step this ladder that leads to the abundant life that Jesus paid for, that He wants me to have more than He loved His own life. He was willing to give His life for me to have abundant life. And so I feel it's only right that I enjoy what He gave His life for me to have. And the Holy Spirit is my shepherd leading His sheep up this ladder to enjoy all that my Father has for me in my ministry, <clears throat> in my career, my business, my health, from, health, from sickness to health, from lack to abundance, from inferiority to confidence, from spiritual uh, carnality to spiritual maturity. From strife to love and harmony. From divorce and division 